Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. He's covered the big events and talked to the biggest names in sports for more than three decades. Threes, end zone, he hit it, 500 career touchdown passes. From Super Bowls to the World Series, he's been there, he'll be there, and he's here now for CMI, the Chris Myers interview. So I'm a teenager growing up in South Florida, 16 years old, I got a still in high school, got a part-time radio job, not on the air, but eventually I want to be because I love sports and talking to people. And they say, get your tape recorder, go down to the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami Beach. There's a press conference with this uh, this boxer. He's entertaining. He's, he's outstanding. It's Muhammad Ali. Okay, so I knew I was a little plugged in, but I get in there. There's it's 70s long hair, stumbling with all these writers after school. I, it was fascinating watching this guy hold court. And then, of course, knowing what a champ he was, but Ali working the crowd. And I had to ask a few questions and I don't specifically remember. It was something that they told me they wanted me to ask for the sports director at the time back at WKAT radio in Miami beach, Florida. And, uh, but he did say, you're not as dumb as you look kid. And, <laughs> and then he said, uh, don't, don't be a fool make sure you stay in school, which of course I, I did. So I was, I was nervous and anxious, but I didn't really have a chance to prepare for Muhammad Ali. I just thought, okay, bang, I'll get out there, ask a few questions. You know, you, you do these things. I hadn't had the job that long as, as somebody who called into a sports radio show. Then later, that was one of those moments that later you go, wow, that was one of the first interviews. And then, of course, I ran into Don Shula. They sent me over to who becomes the all-time winningest coach in the history of the NFL, the only coach to have a perfect season. And he was another guy who was like, boy, I felt like I was talking to like a stern schoolmaster kind of thing. But but he looked at his watch and he said, you got time for two questions. And then, of course, he he warmed up afterwards. But those are a couple of the stories that, that just stuck with me with the fascination. And my theory has always been treat the famous guy like a regular guy and treat the regular guy like they're famous. And that's something that worked for me. But it began early, talking to Muhammad Ali. Where do you go from there? Well, years later, I did get a chance to talk to another heavyweight champ. Mike Tyson had his terrific boxing career. He had gone to prison. He had come out. He was making a comeback to fight. And we set up an interview to go speak to him at his house in Las Vegas. And so we follow him from his training session to his house and we're sitting at the pool in Vegas and there's the cameras rolling and he seemed very comfortable in the interview. And I had a series of uh, Sports Illustrated covers that I was going to show each one of them through his career and have him comment, hey, you're a champ at this age. This is one where you're with Customato. And so he's commenting on each one. And he had his bodyguards with him. We had our producer and we're sitting and I showed him the Evander Holyfield, that cover where he remember bit the ear, the famous. And before I could even, he just launched into me. This was, you know, I, I remember I sat with OJ Simpson after both of the first live interview, after both of his trials. And so I was never intimidated, never in fear. But at this moment, uh, having Mike Tyson lunge forward at me, calling me names. And I mean, like he was inches from my face, arm swinging, but his two bodyguards, thankfully, hooked his arm on each side and held him, held him back as I kind of froze. I certainly wasn't going to fight back. Uh, and I, I couldn't run from where we were because <laughs> we were sitting by the pool. It was a fascinating. But he was said, you're trying to provoke me. You're try- I know what you're doing. He called me all kinds of, uh, of obscene names. And I was, you know, so it, after this, like, went on for, it felt for, to me like 10 minutes, but it certainly wasn't that long. If our producer tried to, like, step in to, like, just thankfully the bodyguards were tougher at the moment than Mike Tyson was. And I, I said, you know, Mike, if, if you don't want to answer the question, just, just tell me, you know, and, 
And then once they sat him down, he calmed down. And I said, you know, I, we could wrap this up. And then he was, no, 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 let's finish the interview. So I, of course, was like, well, what's, you know, I don't know what's coming on the next question. But two things came out of that interview that stuck with me. And this is the point I want to make, that once he gathered himself, he obviously had had some issues. said, you want a tour of the house? You want a bottle of water? He was very personable. But he, but he just said he didn't understand in his own mind the definition of happiness, what that is. And this was at this stage. And that was sad. And that he felt most comfortable uh, in the ring and when he was in prison. I mean, when he was behind bars, that that's where his safe zone was. So we're all different and we all react differently, but that was a story that, that stuck with me. And so where do you go from there? Well, you, you go through the years, Joe Montana and Tom Brady and Derek Jeter and Mike Trout and Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. And along the way, you make friends, cool people like Charles Barkley and Bill Murray that you first you interview them and then you spend time with them and you realize you have a lot more in common than just sports. And even if your values or some of your ideas are not always aligned, you, you still respect the person and like what they're about. So hopefully on CMI here, the Chris Myers interview on podcast one, you'll get some of that through the course of time. We'll be as timely as we can, but I want you to get to know people. I, I want, even if you've heard and this person talk before, this athlete, this coach, you'll learn something more. There'll be, there'll be a revelation in the conversation. And I waited to do a podcast, but I know there are quite a few out there. And I thank you for listening. I'd sound like the guy on the airline where I know you have a lot of choices to fly, <laughs> but thanks for, for choosing us. But, but thanks for listening in here. And I appreciate you listening when you can. Podcast One has some tremendous tremendous talent and shows that you can listen to. And I wanted to branch with somebody using my Fox and ESPN sports background to continue to do this while I continue to broadcast for Fox Sports, NFL, baseball, whatever else they have me doing. Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show, which we'll get to at some point. Everybody loves dogs. So anyway, thanks for listening in here. And I'm glad to have a guy like Urban Meyer, who's a three-time national champion college football. You know a lot about his success at Florida, Ohio State, and uh, the current situation of college football, something We'll discuss on uh, CMI. He's our first guest, the Chris Myers interview on Podcast One. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online, where there is no shortage of action going on. You know that sports are back. NBA playoffs continuing this week. NHL playoffs are underway. Major League Baseball in full swing. The NFL is coming. But they also have UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and soccer. Bet Online has the best odds and lines for the upcoming games and matches, whatever you're into. So visit our good friends and exclusive partner at betonline.ag. Don't forget to use the promo code PODCAST1. That's PODCAST1. Spell out O-N-E, Podcast One, and take advantage of the best bonuses that are out there. And if you need more, BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. BetOnline also has hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all the best props of the business. So visit BetOnline.ag. Use your mobile device if you want. You can join now to receive your new welcome bonus and start playing today or whenever you want. Again, sign up for a free account. Make sure to use Use that promo code podcast one o n e podcast o n e podcast one and your sign up bonus you'll be all set. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Great to have on the Chris Myers interview, CMI, Urban Meyer, one of the most successful head coaches in college football of our generation, who is now a broadcaster and works with Ohio State in a capacity and and semi-retired from coaching, which we'll cover with him. First of all, coach, at a time where people are concerned about their health to a great extreme and understandably so, how is your health? You've been through a few few wild rides even before something like like a COVID pandemic. 
Yeah, everything's good. You know, my daughter had the, the COVID virus. We were going to come down to Florida and we decided not to. So Shelly and I have been somewhat cautious, you know, and just keeping our distance and washing our hands and all that. But uh, our health is great. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I'm glad to hear. So with, through your coaching career, you've had different types of, I don't know if we call it a, a serious, you know, health concerns that you've, that you've worked through. Has it, did it force you to be a little reflective about things beyond your profession and, and where you are in your life? I don't want to get too dramatic with this, but when this comes up with people, we, we kind of step back and take a, a long view of things. It did. The biggest one was spring in 2014 when, uh, I had this uh, cyst in my brain, and I was first diagnosed in 1998, and it gave me problems throughout. And it's not so much the stress. It's not the stress. It's the yelling or the, you know, bearing down or, you know, hard, whether it be a hard workout that once triggered it. I did a bot, used to do boxing classes, and I had to stop that. And then uh, uh, it happened in two, spring of 2014. I was on the practice field, and what happens is you're, you know, just the cyst burst. Fluid goes on your brain and it causes immense pain. You lose vision and you lose your balance. And it happened and they took me over to the CAT scan and they said, well, you know, in two hours we're going to have surgery. You know, we have to get that fluid off your brains. It was kind of a fast, that, that was one that you sat back and said, all right, now, you know, is this something that will impact my career? And I always knew that I wasn't going to do this until I'm 70, 80 years old, but it did, it maybe ex- expedited everything and, made you start thinking, hey, we've had a good run. Now it's time to go and be a good father, good husband, and good grandfather and enjoy life. I mean, a cyst in your brain, Urban. That is, how old were you at the time of that? I was just, oh, boy, 2014, so six years ago, so 50 years old. Yeah, so you're, young, you're a young man, and, and you had to be pushed to that degree, even though you kind of had a plan beyond. And um, that's, that's, yeah, serious, whatever, and to be rushed into surgery. I mean, that's a part of the body. It's one thing if somebody has a knee injury or a shoulder injury or, or something like that. Were you, uh, I, I hate to say this because you're a leader of men that I've, I've talked to you in, in tough spots before, but were you scared when, when, you first, when this first happened? I was horrified. Yeah, I uh, was horrified. And, and, uh, and then I would, you know, what's the causation? That's what you start thinking about. You know, obviously, if, you know, you have bad eating habits and it's causing certain health issues, you try to change your habits. If it has to do with, you know, your performance as a coach. And, and I've tried to dial back over the years. I was well documented in Florida that, you right. know, it's just, it's always been fourth and one with me. <laughs> and I try to dial back and, it's almost like every time I dial back, the production starts to slip. And I really, you know, I just, that's not who I am to dial anything back. So it was back to full speed. And, and I kind of knew that there was, obviously there's an alpha and an omega to your career. And, and at some point that's going to come. And so maybe it came a little couple of years before I really had hoped. But it was time. And, and the best thing going, Chris, is Ohio State's flourishing. You know, so much of when Bob Stoops picked Lincoln Riley, I kept my eyes out. And I said, when I find the right guy, because the worst fear is you take all these incredible people like weight coaches and, you know, assistants and uh, strength coaches, uh, trainers, physical therapists, all these incredible nutritionists, all these incredible people that have jobs. They, a lot of times, because a new coach comes in and brings his own people, that, that'd be hard to live with, knowing that everybody did a great job. It's one, it's one thing if you get fired for – it's because you did a bad job, but people shouldn't lose their jobs if you're doing a great job. 
And you have said, I'm not shy about the love I have for this great state, referencing Ohio, where you know, born, raised, obviously coached and, and, and brought the championship back uh, to a college football championship back to Ohio State after a couple with the, with the Florida Gators and still part of the Ohio State program now. But at heart, right, you're a coach, uh, whether you're coaching or not, you're, you're a fan. And, and I, I think what would be the best way as we're talking now for you to describe, and we know what's going on in the world and in our country, but the, just the state of college football, because there are other sports that, that have found their way through and some college conferences that have found their way through to at least attempt to work through complete seasons. Well, I got real emotional on a Fox show. We, we were with uh, Rob Stone, Matt Leiter, and and Reggie Bush, and it was one of those things that I believe we're in a society that all people do is complain about how bad everything is. And I guess I've never looked at it that way. I think how great the entity of college football is. And college, when I say college football, I mean college sports. And someone made a comment, is this a chance to blow it up? And do it? I was, I'm like, I, I got real upset. I'm like, blow what up? You know, look at our government. Look at the way things are being run right now. It's a, it's a joke. Cities are blowing up. Everything's a mess, yet you have college football, which to me is the ultimate meritocracy. It's, I've never one time looked at someone's skin color, what their background is, where they're from, and, and every time I'm, now that I'm not in it, that's all people talk about. I'm like, whoa, how, much, how horrific that must be that people make decisions on those kind of issues, which in college football on fourth down and one, I can promise you I could care less other than can you do your job. And that's for 35 years I've been very lucky. My daughters have played college athletics. They have, you know, roommates from all different colors and backgrounds and cultures, and no one's ever thought about that. So when I hear see people say, hey, let's blow this up and blow up, no, there's a lot of things to blow up. Leave it alone. College football is awesome. It's never been more popular. It is a little bit – there needs to be a little bit reform. Should players get paid? I don't think they should be paid, but I understand name and likeness. I worry about it, but I, I get that. I understand that uh, one-time transfer might happen. I'm okay with that. But to say blow it up because of finance, quit talking about money. You know, the things that are going to happen is what happened at Stanford. You're going to get 11 sports dropped. And my daughter, one daughter is a president of a company and one's a owns her own company. And it's because they play college volleyball. I, I am convinced they learned more on the college volleyball courts than they did in the classroom about selflessness, about leadership, and about a greater good. Which, tell me where you're going to learn that. You know, if you're not part of team sports, I think it's very difficult to teach that. So you can tell I get very passionate about when I, when people say, well, let's blow it up. No, no, let's not blow it up. You can almost fix things a little bit, but it's the greatest thing going in America to me are college sports. I thought that was impressive how you personalize that, but also express the, the student athlete and the importance of that. We're, we're, we're talking about amateur athletes, not professionals here, which makes it hey, Chris, Chris, excuse me one second, but sure. I, when I hear someone say student athletes and they make, make light of that, you know, I get, once again, very defensive. You know, usually people that haven't played or have any concept in the media make comments like that. You know, yes, they are student athletes, and maybe not at every institution, or I think they are. Right. Because I think that's a means to an end for some people, which is fine. At least you're getting education and maybe an opportunity to uh, provide for your families when you're done with sport. So I just wanted to put that in there. But no, and, I, and, I, and that's why a student has to be first. And I, I think when people are outraged, we know that the loyal 
dedication from fans and college football and alumni, and there are those that are so disappointed that, that if it's not going to be played in their conference or their school this year, uh, we have to remember that, that these are student athletes, these are not yet professionals, and, and you just express that. But are, and, and you don't want to blow it up, but maybe some adjustments. Are you disappointed, Urban, that we couldn't get, let's just take the, the, the big five power conferences, that they couldn't all agree on, on the same thing to try and play. Let's just go with college football for the moment. Uh, obviously you have the SEC and the ACC, but the, the Big Ten, and, and I don't know how much of a vote you have in all this, and I've seen different comments, and there's been last-ditch efforts from, uh, you know, from Justin Fields to parents writing in. Uh, are you disappointed that something couldn't be worked out there so that all those were on the same page? I am, but I, I understand it. I'm one of the few people that I've coached in every section of the country. You know, I've been out west at Utah and Colorado State. I've been in the south at Florida. I've been in the Midwest at Ohio State and Bowling Green and Notre Dame. So the cultural divide is real. The importance of college football is real. Some places it's very important. Other places it's, it's, it's kind of important. Uh, some people look at it as a great, uh, one of the great institutions and uh, greatest things going on. And then you see the Pac-12 where you know, the student athletes come out and say they've been exploited and they don't trust their doctors and their coaches and they need third, third party. And you, then you come out and you see the Big Ten with a completely different look outlook and same with Ohio State. I was so impressed when the student athletes came out and said, first of all, we're not part of that. We don't feel exploited and we don't feel like we absolutely trust our coaches. We absolutely trust our AD and team doctors. We want to play. So there is a great cultural divide that I don't, I, I just do not see, uh, you know, people say they need a commission. I never see that happening because there's so many differences that so, I can promise you the SEC, I've been there for a long time, is right. they could care less what's going on in different parts of the country. They're, they have a job to do. They take their job very serious, and that's be the best of the best of the best. And they're the most passionate. You won't find an open seat usually in those stadiums, and it's very important in the SEC. Same with – uh, most of the Big Ten. So, yeah. you know, I, I, that's reality. And then other places, football is secondary. You know, it's college athletics aren't that important. And uh, so I, I, I don't ever expect that, not in our lifetime. All right, so you, ex- you, you accept the idea that I, it's going to be different in different places. What, are you okay then with the SEC, ACC, Big 12? If, if, if they, is it fair to crown a college football champion out of that group if the, the Big 10 doesn't play or other conferences, especially when you go with you know, three of the of course. five, the power five? So you have to, we have to accept that under these circumstances. Of course, they're playing. You know, if, they, if, they, if it all goes through and they play and um, – I'm sure there'll be an asterisk next to it. Right. But that, once again, this is all about the student athletes. I've always, I've never looked at it towards institutional, towards commissioners, towards presidents or ads, even coaches. I've always, I, I matter of fact, made this comment uh, last week. I, I, I would actually tell our ad that I don't look at myself working for the president, the coach, or the university. I, I work for these student athletes. It's the only profession out there, Chris, where you actually go in people's homes and recruit the people they're going to work with. You know, I'm, we're, we're in the homes of 17-year-olds and the moms and dads. Uh, you're, you're handing that child off to them, and you expect them to fight as hard as they possibly can at all costs for your kid. I can't think of another – I've been thinking about this the last several weeks. I can't think of another profession where that's true. You know, we both work at Fox. Fox didn't come in your home and recruit you. They didn't – you know, they're your employee, which I get that. 
But this is a whole different relationship. This is a 17-year-old that the mom's going to give you a big hug and say, take care of my son. And I've done the same thing. I've had two girls, and my son is playing college football. I would be devastated, not at the university, because I, you know, right. universities have to make decisions. But if a coach didn't stand up for my son or daughter, that'd be a major problem. So where's the line, Urban, on listening to a Justin Fields at Ohio State, who, who by the way, might, as, as terrific a player as he, he might benefit from maybe not playing a year. You know, this is a guy who can go right in, and we're not just talking about – players that, want, that can be professionals or be drafted in the NFL, but, but just guys who, who want to play. They talk about a spring. spring. But, uh, so you're saying as the leader of all these guys, and I've seen you lead in the game and in recruiting, you're going to listen to them first, hear their voice, which I know you have and you will, but when there's so many and, they, and there's, let's just say, voices that are different, is it ultimately up for, for you to decide or the, or the school? I think in, in many situations it is. But not, not when you're talking about a pandemic and a national okay. health issue. You know, this is uh, – I would support Justin Fields like Ryan Day is. I think Scott Frost fought for his players, and I respect yep. that. So did Coach Harbaugh. So I, I think most – you know, if a coach is not fighting for his players, that, I can promise you they're not winning games. So there is – yeah, you, there is that connection. At, sure. But at the end of the day, when this has got to be in the hands of – this is a pandemic, a national emergency. So – Yes, you'd fight for them, but there's time to stand down too. And if they, but I, I still have not seen the data and the reason and why. And I'm going to be interested. I think that's coming out soon. Uh, why the Big Ten made that decision? Uh, yeah, and but, uh, I, uh, yeah, not to interrupt you, but I think we're we're all waiting. Not just those football fans, but you hear different information, and there's been a lot of misinformation and and, right. and things that I think have us all confused. But obviously, we have to be cautious. In the meantime, a last-ditch effort other than Justin Fields' uh, petition, and I really applaud him for at least expressing himself, and as you said, you know, reaching out. Uh, but, but a last-ditch effort about a, a Big Ten, Ohio State, uh, uh, getting Nebraska, Iowa, Michigan, Wisconsin. I think Barry Alvarez has talked about playing uh, a 10-game schedule, five teams, a home and away. You played teams twice. Uh, is, is that – if you heard that, is it, what possibility would you give something like that? I heard it this morning, and uh, if you've talked to Coach Al- or Coach Alvarez, I still call him Coach. Yeah, but, Coach, right. Yes, we all do, yeah. Um, you know, I, I am, I'm not aware of that. You know, I, I, it's hard for me to comment when I just recently heard of this. And, but once again, to, I, to have people behind the scenes working as hard as they can for the student-athletes, I commend them. So you haven't given up on, on, a, on a Big Ten playing some football this year? or, or you have, Where are you, on, from what you know, based on when we're talking, is it, is it you know, 90% not going to happen? What, would you give us any hope there? I'd probably say even higher than that, probably not going to happen. I just don't see them going backwards. But once again, to give you – it's hard for me to give opinions on things. I'm really not knee-deep in those meetings. I just listen to Ryan Day, Gene Smith, and other colleagues and – probably a lot like you. I, I'm not in those decision-making meetings. Yeah, you were talking about going into homes before with players and, and the, the, the personal part of that. You know, and we, we, we kind of forget that when we're watching the games and, and making decisions. But you, you kind of – you brought uh, – tell me if I, uh, I'm accurate on this – kind of an SEC style of recruiting into the, 
into the Big Ten. You really separated Ohio State from the pack in that regard. I'm not knocking anybody previously. I'm just referencing, and you talked about the passion of the SEC. Uh, and and would, you, would you agree with that? And how would you explain that to, to people? And I don't, it's a compliment more than it is saying you're doing anything uh, that's, that's so different that, that people can't respond to it properly. Yeah, I, I think that story um, created, you know, got a lot of legs, you know, when it was all happening in 2012 and the coach of Wisconsin, Elam, um, uh, made a comment, we don't want to, you know, we're, we don't recruit like that. And I'm not sure, you know, we're, I don't know if he meant, fought, you know, not being the rules. We've always followed the rules. We've never had compliance issues. and But we were very aggressive. That means if someone from the state of Ohio was committed somewhere else, would I call them up and, if we thought they were good enough and give them an opportunity to come to Ohio State, absolutely. That's our, my job. Uh, same thing, I think we expanded the footprint, you know, realizing that there is a population shift, that the number, not the quality, but just the overall number of players coming out of the uh, northern and north Midwest areas is just not as big. For example, I grew up in Cleveland area. In Cleveland and Pittsburgh, that whole northeastern Ohio, western PA area, that used to be loaded. 20, 25, 30 Notre Dame, Ohio State level athletes. It's not, it's, there's not that many now. There are some great ones, but just not the quality. So if you want to compete with Alabama, Clemson, et cetera, you're going to have to go get the best players. And we did that. And we received, I, I, you know, I never really paid attention, but I would hear later on people criticized us, or which, you know, once again, I, I work for Ohio State, and our job is to win as many games as we can with the best players in America. And we took that very serious. And we saw some of the results with uh, with the players at Ohio State, and still uh, with a, a part of the Buckeyes' success. What, what's the most uh, I want to just say unusual, provocative, humorous thing that either a parent or a, a, a player ever said to you when you were in the home recruiting? Did anything jump out at you? A, a funny reaction, or a more serious one, or one that that, that touched you deeply beyond uh, coaching that that player, or or seeing his family through the years at the school you were there? Oh, I got so many of them. Um, you know, it's hard for me to just pull one out. But, you know, I, once again, I don't think people certainly, and I would tell our ADs that when I, I work for some incredible ADs, and, and I, the media time would get after me when I would give a player a second or third opportunity, you know, if they make a stupid yes. mistake. You know, yep. and, and I even had one administrator say, you know, you need to make an example out of someone. And I almost, I did everything I could not to grab the guy and said, you're talking about someone's kid. You know, and of course you don't realize that because you've never sat in someone's home. But can you imagine saying that about someone's child, you know, that yeah. for the media or to appease someone, we need to make an example out of someone. And I, I did everything I can to say, you know, what are you talking about? You know, that's, this is someone's kid. So the deep relationships that are born during recruiting and then, materialized during their time at on campus i can only equate it to the military you know that's when you have those life-changing uh lifelong relationships that you have with people and you know really any other endeavors i i don't know if you really can get those kind of relationships urban meyer is with us three time uh, national college football champion, 17 years coaching, 854 winning percentage. I mean, the bowl record's incredible at 12 and 3 from Bowling Green to Utah, Florida, Ohio State, uh, podcasting now on Fox and a uh, part of the Ohio State uh, Athletic Administration, Assistant Athletic Director, if we can call you that officially. So, what, yeah, I'm sorry, what are your responsibilities uh, with Ohio State currently? 
I do a leadership. We're part of the Leadership Institute, and we started that back when it was it's uh, close to what we were doing as far as real life Wednesdays and it's post uh, post football or post sport opportunities with internships, shadow opportunities, and making sure people get jobs and prepare for life after sport. I uh, run a leadership. The, the student athletes came to me and. Um, actually two rowers, they were captains of their sport and said, hey, we've talked to some of the athletes. Well, we do a once-a-month leadership training with all the captains of all 36 sports, and that's been a huge hit for a year and a half. I love that. We're going to actually do one tomorrow. And then I meet with coaches periodically, and then I do donor relations. That means, you know, do donor events and support Gene Smith and Ryan Day the best I can. I love Ohio State and obligated to uh, help any way I can. Yeah, I want to talk about some of the players. Interesting, with the Washington football club, the NFL team, Urban, uh, you know, the the tremendous story that Alex Smith has an opportunity to play again, who you coached uh, back at at Utah. And then Dwayne Haskins, who was drafted high and is the future at that position. We'll see how it plays out between between those two. Uh, That must make you proud. You're talking about relationships, having recruited guys, but just having followed the careers of, uh, of those two players. Let's just first talk about Alex Smith because it's a, it's a feel-good story, whatever happens from here. Yeah, Alex is one of those guys that uh, he was, he's kind of to himself. He's not, you know, Dwayne Haskins, ironically, they're together and they're both incredible people, but one's all over social media and Alex <laughs> is very private. He's got a beautiful wife and family that I know very well and Alex was, you know, the number one draft pick overall, Heisman candidate and one of the greatest players I've ever been around. I don't think people really understood how great he was or how tough he was until that documentary, which I think was extremely well done. So, you know, I don't know if he'll play again. Uh, I know he's got his priorities straight. If that's between being a good father and grandfather the rest of life and not play, he'd do that. If he feels he can't play, he will. And I just heard they got the green light that he's going to be able to go ahead and move forward. So I'm so glad that the world got to see Alex Smith for who he is and not number 11 or 15 or whatever he is, but an incredible person, great leader, smartest guy, never had a beat. He graduated college in two years and uh, just a brilliant, brilliant player. Yep. And his story, in case people, obviously injury, 2018, almost lost his leg. And really, it's not an exaggeration. His life was on the line. I mean, surgeries, almost as many as 18, 19 surgeries from the surgery to come back and, uh, and kept it, as you said, very private, his comeback. But, but now he's at least back with an opportunity. Now, Dwayne Haskins, I remember talking to you when he was drafted. Teams were talking about how, how high he would go. Uh, and you, you said some very positive things about him. But it's, it's tough. You see a guy, a young guy like Mahomes get thrown in there and have success. How would you handle, and I realize you're the college coach here, but if you were coaching him in the NFL, how would you handle Dwayne Haskins? Uh, or how should Ron Rivera do it in Washington based on what he has? I'm very impressed with Ron Rivera. Some time with him, and then their staff during the draft, and um, and then we've had many conversations about Dwayne and Terry McLaurin, and and then obviously now Chase Young. So uh, very impressed. I am really pulling for them. You know, Mr. Snyder and that whole outfit. I know there's been uh, some firestorms going, but I was nothing but impressed with the time I spent with those people, and I think they got a great coach. Uh, you know, it's interesting in the NFL, and that's where you spend the majority of your time, is that the quarterback just gets the blunt of every you, – you, you put a quarterback on a bad team and all of a sudden he's a bad quarterback. It's amazing to me how that's – like when Alex Smith was at San Francisco, it was a terrible team. You know, they're terrible on defense, offense, and yet Alex Smith was a bust. And, he, you know, I, I would get real – because that's my player. 
And then I hear Dwayne Haskins, they fire the coach middle of the season. There's all kinds of culture issues within the organization. And what, it's Dwayne Haskins' fault now. You know, I'd like to see Tom Brady in that kind of situation. You know, it, it, the quarterback in the NFL, for some reason, you know, you get stuck on an awful team. And that's my biggest concern with every player that we have leave our program. All of a sudden, you, you get used to winning and you get stuck in some situation where you're, you know, you're losing in just a ton of games. You lose your motivation, your de- desire. And, you know, I've seen that happen to many of our players. And that, that's terrible. So I think Dwayne's going to do great. But one way to make sure Dwayne's going to be great, put a great team around him. It's not that complicated. <laughs> yeah, fair. Draft fair. really good players, have a really good culture, make them work, and get rid of people that aren't part of your culture. And, you know, it, it sounds – I don't know. I know it is hard, but it's just amazing to me how people, you know, people when I say meet and even professionals – I'll hear people make comments to me. I'm like, you're out of your mind. The kid's a great player. I played, I coached against him or he co- coached him. He's just stuck in a bad organization, a bad, bad place. And another player you coached, uh, Tim Tebow. And I, I love the story. I, some have heard it, but uh, it's worth telling again. And uh, you have, have time for us to do that when you were recruiting him at Florida because it, it takes us inside what a coach goes through. And you've talked about your family, how you live a moment. And we've seen the kind of player in person Tim Tebow uh, is, has become. Uh, tell, uh, summarize that for us if, if you could. Yeah, Tim is such a polarizing name, even in high school. And I landed the day I got hired in Florida. I was coming from Utah, so I had no idea who Tim Tebow was. We didn't recruit Florida. And uh, people started hammering me. I mean, as the minute I put my feet on the tarmac, uh, the people in the airport, you know, the service, you know, collecting bags, everything. Hey, you have to recruit Tebow, have to recruit Tebow. And that went on nonstop to the point you're almost, I don't want to say I didn't like him, but I kept tired of hearing about him. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, a lot of people thought he was going to be like a tight end or something because he had an awkward throwing motion. And so we actually recruited another quarterback. But as time went on, I got to know Tim. I watched him play baseball, ironically. And his leadership, his toughness, his work ethic, it, it became very clear. This was not a normal player. This, this guy had it all, and I had to have him. So I recruited him myself personally. He got knee-deep with it. And fast forward to December is now – the time he's going to commit and Alabama was way ahead of us because uh, David Shula was the coach and got very close to Tim, you know, and I was just coming in. I only knew Tim for about six months and uh, it came down to the day and I get up in the morning, my girls, my wife, where's Tim going? I'm driving to work. I get, get gas. People are screaming at me at the gas. Are you getting Tebow? I, I see a bright light shining at a bank. That's almost hey, Tim Tebow come to Florida. And then I get to the office. Everyone's asking me. Finally, I had to leave. And he's going to go on, I believe, at 5 o'clock. I'm in the car. I've been trying to call him all day, which is silence is not good. And he, he wouldn't answer his phone. And then finally he calls me up, and uh, I see Tim Tebow come across my cell phone. And I said, all right, here we go. And I said, hey, Tim, how's it going? He's sobbing on the phone. And uh, he said, Coach, I, I made a decision. I'm going to. And then, boom, his phone goes out. <laughs> Wow. And I started punching the dashboard. I get home. Shelly comes running out. Where's he going? And he's there walking out on national TV. I can see him on television. I'm so angry thinking he never told me in person. And so I just walked outside with my son. And about five minutes later, I hear my daughter start screaming and Shelly Tebow's coming to Florida. So that's the story. 
That's ama- well, that's amazing. And then the rest is, is history as, as we saw him. Would you say, Rank, uh, probably one of the greatest college football players ever, right? If you have to. Well, I've been asked, and I'm yeah. very biased. He yeah. is, without question, the best in my mind to ever play the game in, in all areas. Is he the best quarterback? I'm not sure. Is he the best player? He's the best player. He's the Heisman Trophy winner, a finalist three other, two other times, two national championships, and in the toughest conference in college football. So he's the best there is. Yeah, that leadership. Hey, I wanted to ask us, we were talking about recruiting before, and, and, and you talked that. How is recruiting right now uh, so different or challenging for, for those coaches trying to do that or those that are trying to recruit players? Or is there? Well, on the big picture, it, for some reason, about three or four years ago, there was a big push to speed up the process. That means now we have official visits in April of their junior year, which I think is nonsense. And then you're seeing more and more kids get offered their freshman and sophomore year. And football is a developmental sport. You know, your, your body, my son, you know, gained 40 pounds his senior year. You know, that's not uncommon. That, uh, you know, it's for big, strong people. And a lot of times it takes a while to become big and strong. And I'm seeing more and more mistakes. I'm seeing more and more players commit early and change their mind. Uh, sometimes go to a school and want to transfer because they were rushed into it. And so I'm very opposed to that. During this time, with the COVID, it was all done virtual visits, which was very hard, uh, not on purpose, uh, on campus visits or in face-to-face, so very hard time. Uh, but my biggest issue is it's just the calendar has been moved way up. You, you realize that Bobby Bowden, one of the great recruiters of all time, when yes. I first recorded in 2005, they would save all their scholarships until the third week in January of their wow. senior year. Wow. And that's when they would commit. Now everyone's class is fully committed for next year, basically. Oh, they, wow. they do it so early, and I'm opposed to that. I, I don't – whoever came up with that model, it worked. They got it done, but I disagree with it. Yeah. You know, well, what didn't uh, – and with the, some talk about a spring season for those college football, those conferences or teams that aren't playing. I mean, trying to play – and I, I think Nick Saban recently said, look, I, you know, players are going to – experienced players aren't going to be there, right? The seniors – it'll be like a – I think I'm like, if I have his comment proper, a JV season, kind of a JV players, which he did. I don't think he meant it to be demeaning. I just think he was being realistic. What's your thought on it? Well, there's no chance of spring football. I mean – I agree with Coach Saban. What's going to happen is the good players won't play because they're going to go to the NFL, and they should have a right. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, once again, uh, people's when, when you do nothing wrong, you do things right, and things are taken from you, that's not their fault. But I'm talking about the student-athletes. So right. the, the chance of a January, February, you know, there is a little bit of movement. I know Ryan is Ryan Day's uh, in favor of something like that, and I support him on that. But he knows the further you move it back, there's no chance. You First of all, Number one is player safety. Number two is NFL opportunity. And both of them say no chance the further you move it back. Well, Urban, uh, you had an experience in the conference. I love that your dedication to Ohio, but you have a thing where you don't say the word Michigan or somebody does, right? Or if they slip up or you do, what do you have to do? 10 pushups? Is that, is that your policy still? Yeah, it's not necessarily my policy still, but if I was in the Woody Hayes facility, if you wear blue, you got to take it off. If you, there's no blue pens. Uh, nothing blue in the facility, and if you use the M word, you got to drop and do ten. And that was awkward. that was awkward for some of the moms and and grandmoms and grandfathers when they came in, but they had to do them. Really, you you didn't warn them about that, and that, that does that still go even if you're not? I, that's a real rivalry. I mean, we know Michigan Ohio State's one of the great ones, but boy, you you carry that with you and forward. Yeah, I learned from the great Woody Hayes, and 
you know, he was the first one to the story about him not wanting to buy gas on recruiting trips because he didn't want to pay sales tax to that state. <laughs> you know, the one where he said he went for two because they won't let him go for three after he scored a touchdown. And so I believe it's all true. And, it, uh, and we do it with great taste, much respect, but we also live that rivalry every day. I think yeah, that's I think that's really impressive, and people should should know that passion. Well, you are. Many people have called you uh, one of the you know this generation's great coaches with with uh, Saban and and Sweeney, and and really I think you know top ten all time when you talk about college football. I know you're not worried about all that now, but I just want people listening to know that's what people in and around and who have been or uh, in and around college football for decades think of you. And you're still a young man, so I want to ask you about that because I know Notre Dame. I think Lou Holtz gave you a kind of kickstart at things for you, and we know you're an Ohio guy. So having had the success and where you are now, there were rumors with USC and, and coming back to coaching. Uh, is that something that still stirs in you, uh, given the right circumstance to coach again? Well, I'm human, so I love the game. I, I miss certain things. I miss the winning. I miss the student-athletes. I miss the team and greater good of being part of the team. But at this point, I don't see that happening. I, I really believe I'm done. I've said that. But I'm also young enough and, you know, and I, you know, that's between myself and my family down the road if we want to go do something again. But right now, I, I'm very happy with what I'm doing. Okay, but we can't rule out, I mean, if Notre Dame calls, no disrespect to the current position, that, that would be tough not to at least take that call. Well, they have a great coach. It's a great place. And, but once again, I, I, I'm going to stick to the, was it <laughs> okay. called the they call it a company line. That's a company. Yeah, no, and I, I, I just thought maybe, you know, I'm not looking for that, that click comment where you get like with the Dallas Cowboys. But I do have a thought on this, sir, but just my own from having observed you, and I've covered a lot of college football, but been around you more, and your approach to people and football and the way you bring that together. I could see if you had an interest, uh, obviously in college and running things, but even in the NFL, becoming maybe a team president or in some executive position, uh, is that is that something down the road that, that might appeal to you? Uh, and obviously we hope you stay at Fox and continue on the on the big new kickoff show uh, because it's a, it's a terrific cast of players. But I think because you are still a young man, these are things that we all think about as, as, uh, as football fans and sports fans. I had some conversation with teams this year. Um, you know, I wasn't ready to do some this year, but uh, it's the first time I've studied the NFL. You know, I, I, I called about 30 of my former players and actually took notes uh, because I wanted to learn about the NFL. Why, why are the New England Patriots so good? You know, I have my personal opinions because – uh, my respect for Coach Belichick. I've been there many times to watch practice. I've been to other places, and you can tell it's dysfunctional. Uh, I've also, one of the biggest, uh, you know, there's two things uh, in my mind a leader must do, and number one is create and implement a culture. Number two is have a plan for talent acquisition. And the organizations that have a strong culture and have a plan for talent acquisition win. The ones that don't, don't. And it's like I said, I, you know, you don't want to oversimplify everything because it's very hard to have a great culture and it's very hard to make the right decisions. But there's, a, there's, there's organizations out there that you just really, I don't want to say they have no idea, but they, it's the, their process is, 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 is uh, confusing to me. Because here I, you know, I'm the head coach at Ohio State in Florida for all these years and there's certain organizations I never really got to know or ever talked to. And then there's other ones that, we're on speed dial because they're always asking me about players and, you know, same with some of the other top program coaches. So uh, I'm intrigued by it. I'm intrigued by how, why, what makes some, you know, because think about this, Chris, on paper, 
there's the majority of NFL teams have far superior talent than New England. Yes. Because they draft ahead of them every year. So <laughs> just by sheer numbers, they have more talented athletes on their team. Yet they stumble all over the place. Why is that? And when I hear a fan or I hear a media person say, well, they're bad players, I, well, first of all, I'd laugh at it and say, you're out of your mind. They're great players, NFL guys. No, they're, they're great players. It's just something wrong with the organization. Having, yeah, having a plan and, and stick to it. By the way, your book, uh, read it years ago, Above the Line, Lessons in Leadership and Life from a Championship Season, still worth uh, picking up and reading for anybody. A couple of just fun things before we, we let you go. That, and I, I, because you were appeared on the FS1 program, uh, the game show that I hosted, um, Fox Sports, the home game with sports trivia. And you had Jimmy Johnson, the Hall of Fame, you know, ex-Cowboy coach, and you, and you defeated him, and you were, you were holding a baseball bat, but we did our Zoom on and, and I don't know if people realize, people listening to this, that you were drafted, uh, I believe it was 82, 13th round, Major League Baseball draft, infielder, shortstop, third base, second base, whatever, and, and a couple of, couple of years in the Braves organization, actually had a home run. So was baseball, get, take us back to Urban Meyer at that moment, was baseball where you thought you were going at that point? in your life I was uh, played baseball and football football has always been my first love with baseball I, I love baseball as well and I was better had more opportunity you know you get drafted into professional baseball and that was back I was a huge Cincinnati Reds fan and I said okay I'm going and uh, you know I had a little the, the fastballs went from 82 miles an hour to 96 <laughs> and then they give you a wooden bat and then I, I injured my arm and I just really couldn't throw. And, you know, a shortstop that struggles throwing the ball is not uh, very good. So I got cut there, went and played college football, and then moved on. But uh, I thought baseball was going to be my fastest track to go do what I dreamed of doing, and that's make a living playing sports. And now you, yeah, and, and it was a different dream and, and helping young people with their dreams still. And pickleball, you talk about our health. I, I don't know if people listening have played pickleball or aware of it, but it's, it's something uh, I, I've enjoyed. And I know it's something you said you, you enjoy as well. It uh, keeps you in shape, right? And I know you're a competitive guy. So there, uh, that's how would you explain pickleball to people who haven't played it? Well, it's a, a combination of tennis and ping pong. And I picked up tennis too over the COVID time. My neighbor had a tennis court and I noticed I lost 10 pounds in one week doing it, and you get in shape that way. And I'd rather step on a rusty nail than do a treadmill. So <laughs> I really enjoy that. And pickleball is a great sport. And the older you get, it's you can still compete at something and, and not blow your Achilles out like uh, some of these other sports. Well, I keep competing, and I, I always enjoy talking to you and listening to uh, what you have to say about the game, about the players, and I really appreciate it. It's good knowing you, and, and I hope we get to talk again soon and, and talk more football and about what's going on on the field. Uh, but it's always a pleasure, Urban, so I hope you and your family stay well and we, we talk again. Yeah, much respect. Thanks, Chris. All right, you take care. Thanks for listening to CMI, the Chris Myers interview. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word. Get new episodes every Wednesday on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify.